Well, you can see pastor's not with us this morning. He is in the middle of moving, believe it or not. So he is now officially a resident here in the Burleson area. So yeah, he's, he's really excited. He'll be even more excited next week when he's done. But uh, it's been, you know, you know how moving goes. It's just crazy. But we are so blessed to have a member of the TPC family back with us. If you've never had the opportunity to hear Pastor Sonny Kanatzer, Pastor Sonny and Pastor Jeff grew up spiritually together at Pastor Sonny's dad's church over in Dallas. And they have been ministering together ever since. So would you please help me give a turning point welcome to Pastor Sonny Kanatzer. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, before I actually get into my message this morning, I want to stop and pray because I was just sensing as I was sitting here, there's someone in this room right now that you're under a heavy weight. I don't know what that is, but I sense you're under such a heavy weight. Uh, there's something going on in your life that uh, you, you had just enough faith to get you to church today. But you don't think you got much faith left after that. But you're here. God knew what you're, he knows what you're going through. He is the one that actually got you here today. And he wants you to listen to the word of God because he's going to do something within you today that I'm telling you, not only are you going to know it, but when others get around you, they're going to know it. Something's happened to you. And when you leave here, somebody's going to ask you, what happened to you? And you're going to tell them, I went to church and I had an encounter with Jesus, and he's changed my life. So let's pray together right now. Father, I come to pray. Lord, especially for that one that's here today that's under a tremendous amount of pressure. There's a weight upon them. And Lord, they came today hoping to hear from you. And Lord, right now, I know that you're speaking to their heart. You're going to be a comfort to them. And you are going to speak a word that's going to lead to their change. And it's going to be for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it is good to be back again. I visited last Saturday night, uh, Easter weekend, and did not know I was going to be here uh, this Sunday. I got a call from Pastor Jeff in the middle of the week. And he said, well, how instant are you? Are you instant in season? I was, it was Wednesday night. I thought he was going to ask me to come over Wednesday night. And it was about 5 o'clock. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm moving this week. And after you've lived in a place for 29 years, I've done that before, and you move, it's a lot bigger job than you realized. And he said, I'm in the middle of moving. I've got another truckload to come. I've got some things to move to another place on Saturday, and I just don't think I'm going to be able to study and get ready for Sunday. Can you preach this? And then I'm going to be out of town next Sunday. Can you do a two-part series? You got a two-part series in you? And of course, I said, I sure I do. Then I said, Lord, do I have a two-part series in me? And he said, yes, you do. And, uh, and I've been working, matter of fact, on a series. I was ha- have a vision for a coming revival that I see in my spirit that's coming our way. And I've been preparing a message for our upcoming uh, 
Church of the Rock network of ministers conference with it. I'm president over a network of pastors after pastoring for 30 years. I'm now pastoring pastors. We're having our first gathering. Get, didn't get to have it last year. We're going to get to have it in July in Texarkana. And uh, I was working on a message about revival, but the Lord kind of speeded that up and gave me some new things to share with you, which I'll be sharing uh, beginning here this morning. I was watching the Masters yesterday. Anybody ever, any golfers in the house? I was watching the Masters golf tournament yesterday. They had a little rain delay. In the rain delay, they kind of put on screen the 2019 Masters where Tiger Woods won for the first time in a long while. And uh, I looked at the crowd of people that was watching the Masters Golf Tournament in 2019. There were thousands of people there, packed in together, cheering on their particular golfer and their golf shots. And as I looked at that mass of people, I said, they didn't even realize what was about to happen. We didn't have a clue that just a few months, there was going to come a pandemic that was going to shut everything down. Until last year, they weren't able to have the Masters when they normally have it. Then there was Tiger Woods, who was playing in that tournament, was going to win that tournament in 2019, and he had no clue what was about to happen in his life. He almost faced death when he had that accident in February. He had no clue. And I thought about that, and I thought about us and what we've come through over the past year, and how strange it's been, how weird it's been, but how all along God has had everything under control. He's been working behind the scenes. He's been working in each of our lives, even when many in the church wanted to give up. Many in the church have not yet been back to the house of God yet. Last weekend, Easter weekend was the first weekend that church was, let's just open it up and everyone can come that wants to come. And I met someone that was here, faithful member of the church. They said, this is the first time we've been back in public worship in a year. Faithful people, but because of the pandemic and that that was going on, they said, we got vaccinated. We feel pretty good now. We're coming back to church. Well, I'm glad to see you here on this early service on Sunday morning. And I believe, I have no doubt about it, that God is stirring the hearts of individuals. And we're going to see something like we've never seen before. The church in this time has gone deeper. It's grown stronger. And I believe we are headed to something if God told us we wouldn't believe it. And I believe we're headed for revival. Now, I'm talking in my title of my message today is Ingredients for Revival. I put this little byline in that I sent to Valerie. We're praying for Valerie. She'll completely recover from her recent surgery, be back with us really soon. But I sent her this, ingredients for revival. Let's cook some up. I'm starving for some. I'm starving for some revival. 
I don't know what you think about when you think about revival. I grew up Southern Baptist. Anybody here grow up Baptist? I grew up Southern Baptist, and my idea of revival was this. Every spring and every fall, we had a weekend or a week-long revival meeting. We would call in the evangelists. Some of you, these names will not mean anything to you, but to some of you, they're as old as I am. Maybe you'll remember an evangelist named Freddie Gage, powerful evangelist, man of God. Bob Harrington. Anybody remember that name? He was called the chaplain of Bourbon Street. He had his offices right on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. He always wore a red tie and red socks, and he was an evangelist. James Robinson, we all remember him and know him, but he was one of the evangelists at the time, and they would come into our church, and they would preach, and man, they were great evangelists and great preachers of the Word, and I'm telling you, they stirred us to high emotions, and I can't tell you how many times growing up in a Southern Baptist church at that time of either the spring or the fall, hearing the evangelists and walking them, I surrendered to everything. I repented. I rededicated. Somebody said, I rededicated myself. So many times my rededicator wore out. I mean, I was in the altar because they moved me to want to get right with God. And we would do that every spring and every fall just to kind of keep the church functioning. We didn't realize you could be in revival all the time until we had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But we realized that revival can come and revival can stay. And I believe we were on the precipice of the next great move of the Holy Spirit. Could be the last great move of the Holy Spirit. Could be a time when the end time harvest is going to come in. I don't know if you can, as I said, cook up revival. But there are some biblical ingredients. that if we'll put them together, we'll be ready for when the Holy Spirit passes by. I looked up revival in the dictionary. Uh, The Webster's just simply says revival is an act of instance reviving, a state of being revived or renewed attention or interest in something, a new presentation of something old. Well, I got something to say. It's not going to be a new presentation. It's going to be a fresh presentation of this that is old. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The King James Version Dictionary, I didn't know there was such a thing, but the KJV Dictionary says revival is to recover from a state of neglect. There's a lot of people neglecting the Lord. And when they are revived, they are recovering from that state of neglect. I trust that's not anyone in this room. But just in case it is, if you've been neglecting the things of God, I believe there's coming a fresh stirring in your heart. A recover to a new life and new vigor. And I like this one. To be reanimated after depression. I know a lot of people that need to be reanimated. Especially during this time of confinement and lockdown and isolation. I get around people who are... I know to be believers, but they've been so heavy under the depression of what's going on in the past year that their face has changed countenance. 
And they're no longer smiling. They're no longer got a twinkle in their eye, a glow on their face. They are depressed. And it is time that the Holy Spirit moves and we get reanimated. We should be the happiest people in all the world. I can understand why the world is depressed. Can I say something to you? If I didn't know Jesus, I'd crawl in a hole somewhere. I'd just want to get in a cave and be like Elijah and say, Lord, just take my life. Because what a mess this world is in right now. After the pandemic, after the election, after what I see going on in Washington, man, I would be depressed. And you have every right to be depressed if you don't know Jesus. But if we know Jesus, we should be the happiest people around that people look at us and say, what is wrong with you? Don't you know what's going on? I know exactly what's going on. There's something going on inside of me that I got to tell you about. I asked some of my pastor friends, I said, would you give me your definition of revival? And I received a couple of those and one from Dr. David Shibley. Some of you know Dr. Shibley. And he wrote these, this back to me. He said, Revival is when the Holy Spirit works in such a way that produces large-scale conversion of the lost, large-scale conviction, repentance of sin among professing Christians, a deepened sense of both the holiness and love of God. All this results in the stemming of the tide of unrighteousness for a season and a measurable societal transformation. I like that. That's pretty good. John Lee wrote this to me. He said, revival is another sovereign move of the Spirit marked by mass conversions, prayer resurgence in the churches, a return to biblical teaching and purity in the church that alters cultural norms of society to the point that we know only the Lord himself could have done it. Let me say something to you. This world needs the church to be in revival. They don't know it. Matter of fact, they resist it. But when the church is in revival, it will cause an awakening in our world. And the world needs it right now. People are desperate for it. They want what you have. Wouldn't you like everybody to be in this place today to experience what we just experienced in our worship of the Lord in His presence? There's nothing like it. There's nothing like the presence of of the Lord. Well, there's someone else who gave us a definition of revival, and it's Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Jesus had just come on the scene. Well, he'd been on the scene for 30 years, but not manifest in the way he was about to be manifested. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent for about 400 years. And then John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, is raised up and he comes out of the wilderness declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent, be baptized, get ready, he's coming. And then Jesus shows up one day where he's baptizing and Jesus himself is baptized. The Spirit of God comes from heaven like a dove and lights upon him. 
He's moved by the Spirit then to go to the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. Then he comes out of that wilderness experience after defeating the devil and coming out and going back to his hometown. When he gets back to his hometown, he wakes up on the Sabbath day and he goes to the synagogue. And I love what it says, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue, as was his custom. You know, it's my custom uh, to get up every morning and pray. It is my custom to come to the house of God. That custom got a little interrupted during this COVID-19 pandemic. My routine, uh, when I w- woke up on Sunday morning and they said, you can't go to the church house. It interrupted what I was had been doing all my life. And I was excited to at least be able to get online and gather with some people online and have church. But then it lingered and went on for months and months and months and months. My routine got interrupted. Oh, I'm glad to be back where we can worship together. And those of you that are watching online, I'm so glad you're able to watch online. But there's nothing quite like being in the house with the people of God, with your brothers and sisters. Some of you, you live distance away, you can't come back here. But some of you that are close by, you can return to the house of God. And I promise you, we'll make it as safe as you want to be. Many people got their vaccination. They'll wear a mask. You can wear a mask if you want to. It's all right. We just want to see you in the house of God. So we'll welcome you back here Next Sunday, or if you hurry up, you get here for the second service. Well, Jesus is handed in that synagogue experience. They knew him to be a teacher, and they hand him a scroll. He unrolls that scroll, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. He was handed the book, the prophet Isaiah, verse 17. When he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Let me say something about that here in just a moment. Maybe you don't know. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Some historians say that in the synagogues, there was a seat that always sat empty that was designed for the coming Messiah. Jesus reads this verse, closes the book, and takes a seat in that seat. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. Wow. Now they had something they had to deal with. But I believe what we read here is a definition of revival from Jesus himself. What is revival? You ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's when the Spirit of God comes upon us 
and he anoints us to do these things. Jesus said, just like I've been sent, I'm sending you. Jesus was anointed to do what? Number one, preach the gospel. That's the number one thing when revival comes. You read it from the two men that I read from. It says mass conversions. How can they be converted unless they hear the message of the gospel? So I believe revival, first of all, is going to start with the preaching of the gospel, the good news to those that are poor, not just the financially poor, but those that are spiritually poor and know they need some. I guarantee there are people out in our world right now, they know they need something, and they don't know what it is. They're trying this, they're trying that, but it's not fulfilling the eternity that's been placed in their heart. And there's coming a day, I believe the gospel is going to be preached. And the matter of fact, Matthew chapter 25 says that the gospel will be preached in all the world before the end comes. So this gospel is going to be preached. And I believe there's going to come a time when the gospel is going to be preached to those that are poor. Secondly, he said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted Revival happens when the broken hearts, those that are crushed and shattered by life, are healed. How many crushed and broken people do we have in this world right now? They're everywhere. Revival is going to happen when he picks up those broken pieces and puts them back together. Jesus said, that's what I've come to do. That's why the anointing is upon my life. Thirdly, he said, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. The word captive there means prisoners of war. You realize we've been in a battle? Uh, As soon as you accepted Jesus, you were engaged in a battle with the devil and his cohorts until this very day. We will be till Jesus comes again. But some, even of our own people, have been taken prisoners of war. There are people that have been held captive by the enemy. Now they're doing his will. Jesus said, I've come to proclaim to the captives, you're free. I'm going to set you free. And it means to, here's the definition, to release from confinement and condemnation. We were in confinement for about a year, in isolation. They say, don't get around other people. We were in confinement. And you know what happens when you get in that confinement? For a while, you do good. But you start missing church, which the devil intended you to do anyway. He didn't want you in the house of God. He didn't want you with the people of God. So he began this process of saying, you really don't need the house of God. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to go back to church. Then he comes in the other ear and he starts condemning you for not going to church. What kind of Christian are you? You say you're a Christian. Look at you. You're just staying at home. You're in your pajamas. You didn't even get up and get dressed to go to church today. Look at you. And then he starts putting condemnation on us. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim to the captives, those that have been in confinement and been under condemnation, that they are going to be set free. That's what revival is going to look like. He said, secondly, or thirdly, fourthly, recovery of sight to the blind. How many people do we have walking around with blind eyes? Not just physical blind eyes. Jesus healed the blind person to indicate that was a temporary healing. But he said, I've come to heal spiritually blind eyes. Because we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 in the Living Bible, it says, if the good news, that is the gospel we preach, is hidden to anyone, it's hidden from the one who is on the road to eternal death. Satan 
who is the God of this evil world, has made him blind. They're unable to see the glorious light of the gospel that is shining upon him or to understand the amazing message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is God. How many people do you know that are blind? They just can't understand this great message about Jesus. They can't see the light that we're representing. They just don't understand. They're spiritually blind. I say this all the time. You've heard me say it. If people knew the Jesus that I know, oh, they would want him. They would want to know the Jesus I know because he's a loving Savior, a delivering Savior. He's healed me from the inside out. He's opened my eyes to the things of God, the things of his kingdom. And I believe that if people know him the way I know him, the way you know him, they see that light, that glory on your face. Oh, they're going to want to know him. I, I'm really kind of embarrassed what I see going out as Jesus, as Christian today in our world. I've seen some people say they are Christians, but oh, boy, their life doesn't look like it. I've some people say they go to church and they love Jesus, but man, what they're purporting as Jesus is a perverted Jesus. It's not the Bible Jesus. People in church are co- condemning people and, 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 and judging people, and they're saying that we're doing it all in the name of the Lord. But it's not the Jesus I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He says God didn't send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world but that the world through him might be what? Saved. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. He came to preach the good news. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to proclaim liberty to those that are prisoners of war. He came to recover sight to the blind, and he came to set at liberty those that are oppressed. The downtrodden, I mentioned someone like that today, the downtrodden, the bruised, the bruised. Who are those that are bruised? Those are those that are bleeding on the inside. When you get a bruise and you see it on the outside of your skin, that means something. You're bleeding underneath your skin. You're bleeding on the inside. Jesus came and was bruised. You know why? For our iniquities, Isaiah 53 says. He was bruised for your iniquities. He received bruises on his body so the iniquities, and, and, and I've shared this before, but iniquities is simply a tendency you have in your life toward a certain sin or toward a certain sickness. It's been passed to you from generation to generation. And, and it's a tendency toward a sin or a tendency toward a sickness that's just passed down from grandfather to father to, to you. It's been passed down. Th- that's just, oh, that's just in our family. It's just the way we are. Oh, that sickness, oh, everybody had that disease. You look depressed. Oh, everybody gets depressed in my family. It's just been, we've always been depressed. That's an iniquity. And Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. He says, I want to break that iniquity off you and your family tree. Somebody's got to stand and say, enough is enough. 
And I want Jesus. And he said, I've come to set at liberty those that are bruised, oppressed, downtrodden, crushed, broken by calamity. I've come. That's revival. When you know you're in revival is when people that were, I mean, crushed and under that pressure have been set free. And you can see it on their face. And I've come, he said, the last thing he says, is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? It means this, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. The day when salvation and the free favors of God are overwhelmingly abounding among us. I believe we're stepping toward that moment when we're going to see the grace of God and the power of God flood in our lives like we haven't seen in a while. We're going to see it. Let me close with this scripture. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ezra. Ezra, chapter 9. Ezra was a priest who had been sent back to Jerusalem with a group of people after being in bondage. Children of Israel had been in bondage. They were then released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. Ezra took a group with him. And they started rebuilding the temple. Then they just kind of got discouraged and kind of let it go and begin to kind of live their lives. But Ezra said this, and this is about revival. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 8. And now for a little while, grace has been shown us from the Lord our God. To leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a secure hold in his holy place. Why? That God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. I believe what we read here in Ezra is the same thing God wants to do with us or is doing in these days. He's going to show us, and He has shown us, His grace. Grace is the foundation to any revival. It's not going to happen without grace. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Do we deserve another revival as a nation? We don't. There have been many great revivals down through the history of America. I've been involved in one of those or two of those revivals, the Jesus movement, charismatic movement. I was involved in that revival that carried out through the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s. It was by the grace of God that we experienced what we experienced all across this nation during that time. But I believe grace is going to be shown us again. Again. 
We're going to get what we don't deserve. We're going to get a fresh move of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he mentioned there is a remnant. There's a remnant. And I believe in our world right now, the 7 billion people living in our world, there is a remnant of people that are going to open up their hearts to Jesus. They're going to be brought into this end time harvest of revival. There's a remnant. Jesus, when he prayed in John 17, he was about to leave the earth, and he prayed this. He said, Lord, Father, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for those that you are going to give to me. You know what? Not everyone's going to go to heaven. Not everyone's going to say yes to Jesus. But there is a remnant it's going to say yes to Jesus. And I don't know who is part of that remnant. So i got to preach the gospel to everyone. Because everyone is welcome to come. Whosoever will may come. It's open to everyone. Some are going to say yes, but some are going to resist him and say no. But there is a remnant that will escape the judgment of God. Elijah had that great victory on top of Mount Carmel. Then he began to run from Jezebel, got out to the desert and kind of went in a cave and began to feel sorry for himself and said, Lord, I'm the only one serving you now. God said, Elijah, listen to me. I've got 7,000 other people in reserve. They have not bowed their knee to Baal or kissed him, worshiped him. And I'm telling you, there's a remnant of people that have not given in to the world's ways right now. They're not giving in to the bell of this world. And they're just waiting to hear the good news. They're just waiting to see it expressed through you and through me. And he says when you when they receive him, they're going to get, listen, what does he say next? They will have a secure hold in him, in his holy place. My security is not in what I see going on in the world. It's not in my bank account. My security is in Jesus alone. It's in his holy place. And you could say his holy places where his people together. You know, you brought in part of God's holiness today. God's holiness, he dwells in you. And when you came in here, you brought your portion in here with you. And then we all get together. And guess what? There's a big portion of God's presence in this place. This is a holy place. Our security is found in the holy place. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the Secret place. He who stakes his claim in the secret place. A secure peg. The King James says you get a, a peg in the holy place. It's like a rock climber. If you've seen these rock climbers that take those big stakes and they pound them into the rock. Then they use the rope to climb up. Pound another one in. Climb up. That's what a secure place is for us. We got a secure place in the house of God. This is a secure place for you. You're not going to find a secure place out in the world, especially right now. It's not secure. It's falling apart. But in the house of God, it's a secure place, and I've staked my claim in the house of God, and I'm resisting everybody trying to get me out of the house of God. Psalm 68, verse 6, he says, he sets the solitary those that are alone and isolated, he sets them, what, into families. Some of you are isolated, alone, by yourself. 
God says, I want to put you in the family of God. That's a secure place. Then he says in this passage, I will enlighten your eyes. I'll open your eyes, give you a fresh revelation of who I am and what I want to do in you and through you. I'll enlighten your eyes, and then I will give you a measure of revival in your bondage. Jesus has set me free, but as far as my body is concerned and living in this fallen world is concerned, I'm still in bondage, and I won't be totally set free until Jesus comes again. But in the midst of my bondage, I'm telling you, He's giving us a measure of revival. I don't know about you, I want it. I want all that God will give. It says He will extend mercy. That's the second ingredient in this thing called revival. Grace, I have this right here. Look here. I got this pie crust. See this pie crust? It's like I'm creating a, a, I'm a cook up here. I'm creating this beautiful pie. And, and the foundation of the crust is grace and what? Mercy. That's, that's my foundation. Next week, I'm going to add some ingredients to that coming out of the book of Acts. And we're going to... Add everything we can to this this revival pie, if you would. We're going to put it in the oven of God, and we're going to wait. And then there's going to be a day when the timer is going to go off, and the Spirit of God's going to move across us. And we're going to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. The purpose of the revival is... He he says it here. Let me just say it quickly. He's going to revive us. We're going to repair the house of God. There are some stones out there that have been burned. And they were part of the house of God, but they've been broken. And it's time to go gather them back up because they're still part of the living stones of the house of God. We're going to repair the house of God. We're going to rebuild its ruins. And then it says, God says, I'll give you a wall of protection around you. A wall of fire, as Zechariah said, will be around you, and my glory will be within you. I'm believing God for revival. I'm getting myself as ready as I can for revival. I can't make revival happen. If I could, I would. I can't make it happen. But I know if I can get all the ingredients just right, when the Spirit of God does come, and suddenly, as in the book of Acts, it came, and there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. The Spirit of God come and shook that place. It's going to happen again. I want to be ready. How about you? I want to be in on it. I want Turning Point Family Church to be in on the revival that God. And all we have to do is just put the ingredients in and just wait on God. He'll say, now's the time. The Spirit of God's going to come. We're going to be revived. Can I say something to you? He's going to do something. He's going to revive some of you today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday. You don't have to be at church to get revived. You just have to have a hunger for God. Father, I thank you today for what I see coming. I have a vision for revival. I see it, Lord. And Lord, I see these ingredients that will prepare us for this end time harvest that's coming our way. 
Lord, I thank you for the grace and mercy that revival is built upon. Lord, we don't deserve it, but you are going to give it to us anyway because that's your heart. Your mercy is going to be released. We're not going to get right now what we deserve. We're going to get your mercy. And Lord, I thank you. Lord, for this congregation, for every individual that's here, would you just pray over yourself? Would you just lay your hand on your heart? And just say, Lord, prepare me for revival. Just pray it for yourself right now. Revive me. Refresh me. Empower me. Anoint me, Lord. For this end time move of God, I pray. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Yes, he says, I will. Whoever that was that I was speaking to at the beginning of this service, I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to come into this altar. If you need prayer, or if that was you, that you're just so pressed down with just responsibility and just struggles. Jesus knew you were going to be here. And he says, I want to revive you. I want to refresh you. And I want you to come and take the hands of these intercessors in this altar. I'll stand in this altar for a moment. If you need prayer, I'll pray with you. And let's just believe God. If you don't know Jesus, oh, let me introduce you to the man that can change your life. Can we do that? Let's stand together. Let's just worship the Lord together. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, ma'am.
Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning.